Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is your host, Abby Martin. This is Robbie Martin. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. Long time no talk. Yeah, goddamn, it's been a while. I feel like we've we've uh, we have a lot of shit to talk about. <laughs> um, a lot of shits happen. We yeah. haven't done an episode since I think the, September 25th. So it's wow. been pretty much a month just in that time period. I mean, it just feels like you know things are moving so fast that it just. I don't even think we can catch up on all the stories. So we'll do our best. Yeah. But we're we're glad to be back. Tell us a little bit about your tour, Abby, which you just came back from. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much why we haven't done an episode in over a month, um, because I was taking Gaza Fights for Freedom on a North American tour with Mike Preisner, my partner. Um, it was amazing. I mean, it, it, it was really incredible. First, we were kind of worried because we know Gaza's not really in the news, quote unquote, even though these protests have been going on for a year and a half and people are still getting mowed down by Israeli snipers every Friday. Um, we didn't know how much interest would be generated just at these screenings. Um, a lot of them were in kind of relatively right-wing cities, Albuquerque, Phoenix, um, nearly sold out shows in every single city, giant marquees up saying Gaza fights for freedom in some of these cities. Um, and there was no protests, no complaints. Instead, it was the opposite. It was like not only sold out shows in most of the cities, but like lines outside the door of people trying to get in that we had to turn away. Um, it was unbelievable the amount of enthusiasm, the amount of interest and just people who were super moved by the documentary and also just leaving inspired to, to fight um, and just saying, you know, what can we do and mobilize to really join local organizations. We hosted the whole tour with Palestine Solidarity Organizations and Answer, of course, the anti-war organization that I've been a part of for a long time that Mike's a part of. So it was just really cool to, to follow these screenings with a Q&A with a call to action. Um, in Canada, it was really shocking to see in Toronto and Montreal, nearly 300 seat venues sold out. Um, that was amazing. I had no idea that there was so much pro-Palestine movement and activism going on in Canada. Um, so that was just really, really crazy. I mean, we were just walking on the streets of Montreal and saw like giant posters of like Roger Waters advocating BDS, like calling for sanctions on Israel. So I was like, even though America is kind of late to the game, you know, and polls are dropping, of course, with both parties here. We see Bernie Sanders now calling out Israel and politicians sitting in Congress like we never have had before trying to advocate BDS and leverage aid. Um, in Canada, it's like much more far along. If you're like not advocating BDS, then you're like not considered a progressive there. So um, just really inspiring stuff. I left the, the whole tour completely empowered and motivated and pumped up um, because, you know, a lot of the tour was trying to recoup production costs and also just to continue Empire Files in general. Um, and, and it was just a really, really unbelievable experience. And I met so many, Robbie, fans of yours, which was really exciting. I would say at every screening, Cute. people came up to me talking about a very heavy agenda, Media Roots. I had Media Roots Radio stickers at every table and people were like, I listen to Media Roots Radio. I've listened to every episode. I, I mean, every single screening, I would say at least five people said that. So that was really, really cool um, and just made me feel really good about the show and to you know keep going because there's so many people out there who we don't hear from on social media who are listening to this show. And tons of people also said that Media Roots Radio and a lot of people who are like Eyes Left fans too just said like this is the only podcast that really speaks to them. 
um, which I thought That's was so interesting because it oh, seems wow. like, yeah, it seems like, you know, this is just kind of it's another amazing. podcast in a sea of podcasts sometimes with, this is like kind of the, the new thing, you know, everyone has a fucking podcast, but it, but to me, we are doing something different and we are talking about things in a different way that I think people really appreciate. And so to get that feedback directly was really cool. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, I went to uh, one of your screenings out here in San Francisco, of course, because uh, I live out in the Bay Area, and it was a totally packed house at a theater that I'd never be able to fill <laughs> in a million years, and it was just amazing to see you and Mike on stage being able to discuss the movie with such passion and confidence, um, and it was really inspiring. You know, I get to see you do talks sometimes, like where you're on a panel or you do a talk where you've written it. But this was different, and it made me really proud uh, of you and and you guys and what you've done. Just to see like how how skilled you are, like you know, doing this whole putting on this whole tour on your own. I mean, I know other people helped you do some mm-hmm. of these screenings and stuff, but it just it's really impressive, and it requires a lot of uh, work and time and energy, not just to make the movie you did, but also to put together a tour like that. So. Thanks, Robbie. No, it was really, really cool. It really regenerated my just entire outlook on this whole issue, too, and just, like, made me realize that we we can and we will win. And, you know, people are really ready to hear it. One other quick comment about this issue before we move on is on the road, um, we knew that Frontline PBS, which is considered, you know, obviously, like, people's media, even though it's funded by the Koch brothers and shit, just like NPR, um, they were supposed to release a documentary also about um, that May 14th when 60 people were mowed down in cold blood, unarmed Palestinians at the fence, and then they pulled it. And so we just automatically assumed that the documentary was good, right? Like it was too controversial because it showed too much of a pro-Palestinian view. Mike watched it and he said it was absolutely horrifying like it 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 was unbelievable like it depicted palestinians like not only just the framing and filming of palestinians like in dark rooms shadows on their faces looking like super sinister you know compared to our documentary which is like bright (laughs) palestinians speaking for themselves and just depicted them as all bloodthirsty maniacs who literally wanted to die um trying to murder israelis and it just showed like one, you know, one kid who said that he wanted to like cut an Israeli's head off, who was obviously like severely traumatized. Like this kid was like 16 years old, who just like had many people die on top of him as he was like on the fence. Um, I guess it was directed by a British guy, but produced by Israelis. So uh, that says a lot. But I mean, this kid, they, they could only find this one kid that was just like, yeah, I want to like cut an Israeli's head off. And then, so that was like the one kid that they showed saying like, well, this is what they wanted to do. Um, and then one of the girls we saw, Sheik Khalil, that we talk about in our documentary, who was just shot at point blank range after she hung a Palestinian flag on the fence. They called her someone who was a bank of stones for Hamas. And of course, the entire thing was just depicted as like a Hamas engineered event where all Palestinians have no independent thought and they're all just like puppeted by this terrorist organization. So it was, I'm so happy. I don't, I don't think I can honestly sit through it because he said it was just like very demoralizing to see how much you can actually skew something like this. Um, you know, and, and it's just horrifying. Because, of course, our documentary, which is produced by Palestinians themselves, shows a completely other side of the story that is not um, permitted 
on these corporate media outlets. But I think that 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 says a lot that even this documentary, which was absolutely despicable and racist um, against Palestinians, still was not even allowed because he said it like still you could not hide the fact that Israel committed a massacre. So even though they tried as much as they could to paint it, like justify it it still showed just like bloodied bodies being carried out. And it was like, they had to admit that they killed a bunch of people for no reason. Um, but the Israeli soldiers were just like, yeah, it's really hard. You know, we don't want to do this, but we have to protect, you know, we have to protect our borders. Like it sucks that people are getting killed. So it's just gross. And it really just shows you how important Gaza fights for freedom is. If you haven't seen it, and I encourage you to, um, we also just put out the DVD that you can buy a pre-release. Robbie, thanks for putting that together. Um, pre-releases for sale on our Empire Files shop. And also, um, Anna Hadron, who composed the entire thing, John Preisner, Mike's brother, also just put out the soundtrack. So check that out. We're going to have a link up on our social media. And that is the end of my rant. Um, I know that I've occupied most of this podcast talking about the movie, but it's pretty much all I've been thinking about for the last year. And um, we're kind of excited to move on and, you know, take Empire Files in a, in a new direction and do some innovative stuff with it moving forward. Talk about it as much as you want. It needs to get out there. <laughs> I, I was really pleased to see that the Rolling Stone official podcast, Useful Idiots, uh, hosted by Matt Taibbi and Katie Halper, decided to bring you on to promote the movie, which is some of the biggest press coverage, I think, sort of pro-Palestinian anything that's mm-hmm. that's been given in like a long time. I mean, you, it like it was really good of them to give you that spot. And they both seem to really love the movie as well. Um, they seem really moved by it, which I was as well. I mean, like, I think it'd be hard for someone to watch that movie and not be moved by what they see. You know, not just be angry or want to help Palestinians, but also just be emotionally moved. So, yeah, how was that experience for you? And there was also, like, a really negative reaction from, like, a lot of the typical people have been, you know, after you for years, like, trying to smear you. So what, what was that yeah, whole experience good. like? Good point. I mean, Rolling Stone, I have to give them huge props for giving me that platform. I was honestly shocked, you know, of course, in this Russia hysteria that we're living through and it's just getting worse and worse. Um, I guess it was kind of perfect because the podcast is called Useful Idiots, of course, to kind of mock the neo-McCarthyism era under Trump um, that the Democrats are fostering every day. But also just, you know, it is Rolling Stone and I know how these things work and I know that there's a lot of pressure obviously from people who are listening and could get a lot of backlash from just talking honestly about Israeli war crimes. So I was totally floored that they gave me, you know, 30 minutes to just speak about the movie and to see the reception from Matt and Katie. Huge props to them. Definitely listen, um, listen and support the podcast, Useful Idiots, because really awesome that they, that they did that for me. Um, But yeah, the same kind of characters that we see, these CIA um, shill, you know, CIA socialists, we call them because they pretend like they're on the left and then they really just kind of toe the CIA line and basically just obsessively try to discredit anyone who's like an anti-war or an anti-imperialist. Um, they tried to tear Did me Shane down. Did Shane Bauer? Did our friend Shane Bauer get involved You know what? He time? didn't chime in this time. He didn't chime in this time. I was, I was surprised. Yeah, but it was the typical... Danny Gold, uh, Oz Kajari, the guy who just like all he does is like interrupt Jeremy Corbyn and call him an anti-Semite, like super bizarre kind of Cohen Telpro shit. Um, but so, 
Yeah. Just in case anybody doesn't know, Oz Kajari tried to use as a dunk on me once on Twitter that I will never play gigs as big as him because he was in a huge <laughs> venue selling out band, EDM band. Um, and he wouldn't tell me what it was, oddly, which I thought was odd. Like, why are you bragging about this if you refuse to tell me what the band name is? So I spent a little time and just found out that the band's name is Mode Step. So if you want to look up Oz Kajari, CIA Shill's actual musical project, look this shit up. It's fucking embarrassing as fuck. It sounds like when you hear like Britney Spears songs being played at those EDM festivals where they're like remixed, where they're like EDM dubstep remixes of like top 40, like you know, bubblegum pop shit. That's the kind of music this motherfucker made. I mean, <laughs> I just, so sorry for that. Keep no, that's, that's hilarious that he tried to dunk on you because of that. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just so typical when these people come out of the woodwork because it's so vitriolic and it's so, um, it's so weird how coordinated it seems, you know, and, and they really, really hate whenever I'm kind of allowed a platform because they tried to cancel me, you know, five, six years ago when RT, when I did my statement on RT and got hoisted up by a lot of media and, and they really tried to cancel me then. And, you know, my work rose above it. And, and I think that, you know, my work speaks for itself. So it was just really funny because my fans don't care, you know, like they, they, they've seen my trajectory and they trust me and they know my work. And, um, I think, I think that really says everything, but when you compare it to like what they do, it's just, it's very telling. And all they can do is bring up the 9-11 shit. You know, that's all they have. And they, they have this new game where they just keep posting a screenshot from this Breaking the Set segment I did called Fluoride is Poison. And, and it looks crazy from the screenshot, right? It looks like a John Birch Society conspiracy where I'm actually claiming that, you know, fluoride is like a brainwashing conspiracy because yeah, it's yeah, called yeah. Brainwash Update. What they don't realize, because they actually didn't watch the segment, um, because they just keep posting it over and over again and it like, and people are like, oh my God, like she believes in this. And it's like, no, watch the segment. It's actually a really good segment. I stand by everything I said in it. Yeah. Um, Brainwash Update was a recurring segment on Breaking the Set, just talking about kind of debunking conventional wisdom in general. Oh, wow. And wow. Fluoride is Poison was just a sensationalist headline. That's fucking RT. You know, RT does sensationalist headlines. Um, Dude, and, I didn't and even the, realize. Yeah that this is what they did. I, yeah. I know that they had been posting this segment back in the day to like right. mischaracterize it, but I didn't realize they took a screenshot mm-hmm. to make it seem like you were implying fluoridation was brainwashing. Yes, yes. Which I realized that's, that's so what they were doing. so insidiously right. like disingenuous. Holy shit, yeah. dude. That's, that really shows how desperately they are to smear you. That's nuts. Right, and I finally just, wow. I finally went in because it was on the Rolling Stone <laughs> tweet thread. So I wanted the people who are running Rolling Stone to be like, understand that this is not what it was and obviously Matt Taibbi and Kate Katie too and so I was like oh this is actually like totally legit um the vast majority of the world does not fluoridate their water supplies and I and I was also like Ralph Nader agrees with me like check it out and the guy was like oh like the and like just kept coming at me with the brainwashing thing and I was like dude you didn't watch the segment I was like watch it I was like, watch the segment. It's actually really legit. Like nothing I, I feel like you can't actually debunk anything I say. I use mainstream news articles and scientific studies to back up that that is not a consensus anymore. Like that, all the science that they use to try to do mandatory fluoridation across America, like that's another uniquely American phenomenon that like other countries just don't do because hygiene has gone up in general. Um, So yes, it helps babies' teeth. But like adult hygiene is unaffected by mandatory fluoridation. We already get fluoride and, and, you know, plethora of products. There's no reason to do this. So at this point, it is kind of a money-making 
scheme from like the aluminum phosphate mining industry that's kind of like selling off these byproducts just watch a second yeah. but it just shows you it shows you how insidiously these people try to discredit me and how it actually works to a certain extent in certain circles of people yeah well that's i mean and I, but i think that the strength of your message really does come through though Mm-hmm. You know, Matt Taibbi, I remember back in the day, he used to bash anybody who was like, uh, you know, even explored 9-11 truth stuff. And he's not dumb about your past. Yeah. And the fact that he had you on, I think, speaks to the fact that your work is, stands on its own. And these things ultimately, when taken as a whole package, you know, smarter, more discerning people who don't get influenced by these hate campaigns or like, don't listen to this person. They're, they were on RT. They're a conspiracy theorist. People who don't get swayed by those arguments, I think, are smart enough to be like, oh, yeah, she's actually doing really good shit. You know, I don't care what what so-and-so says about her. I think it's the more sort of easily influenced people who will fall prey to that. And that's unfortunate, but you mm-hmm. can't really do anything about those people. And I, yeah, your work definitely stands on its own. Fuck These it. are the same people who tried to, if you probably just saw this recently, like tried to smear Jimmy Dore, Rania, yeah. other people. They for did like, it on Bellingcat, yeah, which dude, was like, strange. It was Bellingcat so finally like, joined What are you merged. talking about? Yeah, and there's this, and they represent themselves as these like credible leftist figures. Like they promote, you know, the ant- causes like anti-fascism, um, but then they also promote things like the Alliance for Securing Democracy. It's like so, even like Shane Bauer, for example, who I brought up earlier. I remember when one of the big Antifa protests happened here um, at Berkeley. He was on the ground there, posting all these, you know, videos of Antifa while he was also posting links to the Alliance for Securing Democracy, like on the same day, like from his Twitter account. I was just like, "What the fuck is this shit? This is so bizarre." Yeah, and they're the who people are who are pushing people? the red brown alliance, but then they're like the the red alliance with brown alliance yeah with us but then they're like, mixing together neocon yeah. neocon poison wit into like extreme left activism like what the hell's that about like what kind of alliance is that shit right dude no That's it's really it's really almost crazy, like to deflect dude. from how they're tied with the actual like fascists and neocons and like bloodthirsty yeah. warmongers i mean that's really what's going on here because the the jimmy door smear was super sad because it was like jimmy Dor- it was like some big expose being like all of these people are like useful idiots for the assad regime because they're receiving thousands of dollars when really it was three thousand dollars from like an anti-war group that was just pro-syria um, and making it seem like Jimmy Dore was actually paid to say the chemical weapons attack didn't happen. Like, that's how ridiculous this whole campaign was. And it's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure Jimmy Dore makes like $3,000 in an hour. Like, you really think that that shit's going to like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like dictate what yeah, I've seen sane? the super chat money he gets. <laughs> yeah, they found this like thing that they thought was some kind of smoking gun to undermine what Jimmy's doing, acting like he's some kind of messenger for the Assad regime. What possible purpose could this serve? I mean, it's basically what it is trying to do is turn off the larger left from people like Jimmy Dore mm-hmm. because they find his content, you know, a threat. And and meanwhile, the OPCW, a second whistleblower, has come out actually discrediting the findings of the report. I mean, I, I, we never really took a stand, a strong stand on the chemical weapons. You mean the thing, last like, major supposed yeah. gas attack? Yeah, yeah, the last major gas attack that caused the bombing, you know, another bombing campaign in Syria and all the people were up in arms saying, oh my God, I can't believe people are actually alleging that this was staged by the rebels and or maybe didn't happen at all. Um, it seems like there is more evidence coming out that at least the whistleblowers on the ground who were 
put forward to actually investigate the data on the ground from the OPCW, two people have come out under, I guess, under anonymity, maybe one with his name, um, but saying that they, the evidence points to the fact that it actually was not an aerial drop of the chemical weapons from, you know, which would allege that it would have been Assad. So it is very interesting. Check this out. I'll link to it on the timeline. I, I don't, I'm not going to say that much more about it because I don't know that much more about it, but it does seem like, guess what? It's not that crazy to question no, all of these things that, that we're spoon fed um, that drive us into war. Yeah. And speaking of um, Bellingcat from earlier, I mean, if people remember, I mean, we were really alarmed on the podcast last time this supposed gas attack happened in Syria when it seemed like there was a almost kind of trying to be this sort of Libya style consensus between like the UK, France, we're all sort of trying to tie this in with Scree Russia's, ball. the Russian Skripals thing. Yep. And yep. they were like, we cannot let chemical weapons attacks stand, whether they be in Syria or whether they be like on our own soil. And Trump didn't go along with that rhetoric, even though you know, he did actually more make more aggressive tor- moves towards the Syrian army during that time period. He didn't like outright do a bombing campaign like the first time, but he did make maneuvers that were not as like heavily reported on. But what was so interesting about that is Bellingcat, this NED funded, Google funded institution was the one who apparently identified the two Skripals guys, like the two attackers. What? They're the ones who outed them and like pr- had pictures of them on surveillance cameras. They're like, for the first time, we have a scoop. We can identify like both of the Screepall suspects. Wow. And it's like, what the fuck is this organization? <laughs> I mean, we know what it is. It's some kind of cutout. I'm just making it, you know, I'm kind of being devil's advocate here, but like, what the hell? It's like, what the, are we really supposed to believe this isn't a cutout? Like, you think we're fucking that stupid? That is um, so they do, apparently. surreal. Super bizarre. And speaking of uh, your Wikipedia page, I think even came up on the Useful Idiots podcast, which is interesting because one of the immortalized sections of your Wikipedia page is always going to be there forever is the section about your 9-11 views. And one of the people who's referenced in the entry is named Chaz Pazienza. Chaz Mm -hmm. Pazienza. And I was like, oh, I remember that guy really going after Abby really hard. So I looked him up. That guy who was like one of the most aggressive guys going after you uh, around like 2014 or whenever mm-hmm, that was, mm-hmm. he he literally died from smoking heroin in his car um, in L.A. Wow. Uh, a couple of years ago. And wait, a couple of years is, ago? Yeah. And this oh is actually God. really, this is the sad slash funny part about when you look up his name on Google. You know how Google's like they show like a synopsis of the page underneath the link sometimes yeah. in text. Well, it literally says, "quote Chaz Pazianza died smoking heroin in his car <laughs> in Los Angeles this past weekend." Dot dot dot. To me, comma he was everything the Daily Banter stood for. <laughs> like, I'm sorry to be laughing, but this guy. <laughs> fuck you, dude. First of all, you're a prolific as hell hater. Um, so this is the second time I've heard of him since that whole debacle since he's cemented himself, immortalized himself on my Wikipedia page. And how much heroin do you have to be smoking? You don't. You rarely hear about people actually dying from smoking I was just saying, heroin. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's, that's a, it's very unusual to hear about someone ODing from smoking it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really sad. Being an addicted to opioids is no laughing matter. Yeah. It's too bad he couldn't seek treatment. But also, it's just weird to see that someone immortalized on your Wikipedia page as being one of your 
you know, the guys who basically is the one reference to keep this all this shit against you on your Wikipedia page is is dead from a heroin overdose. So it was kind of came to me as a shock. Yeah, it was that just is a shocking. random surprise I encountered. Yeah, very shocking. So we're not very we're not shocking. implying here that we're gonna put a curse on you if you go after Abby <laughs> for trying to smear her, but we're just stating that this happened. Yeah, just for the historical record. So, Robbie, there's so much to say. I, it is really crazy how much has just happened in a month. I mean, we'll get into all the impeachment stuff in a second. But, like, I thought that this story was just bizarre because it just really shows you what Trump is doing day to day. Not only just, like, sitting on the toilet tweeting all day and just watching Fox News in this, like, infinite feedback loop. But he also has given sheets of paper. We already knew that he was, like, given, like, a packet of, like, positive news or whatever, you know, from people yeah. that are, like, sycophantic morons. But he literally is given sheets of paper, like blown up, like like kind of grandpa style, like hugely blown up tweets. So they're like really legible um, with positive tweets printed out from idiots like Jim Hoff yeah. from Gateway Pundit, um, Tommy Lauren. And she's the one who revealed that she tweeted a letter that he had sent back to her in like a presidential sealed envelope. Where he signed it. Signed it saying, Tommy, thank you for everything. Best wishes, Donald Trump. And you can see on the piece of paper that she has that she's holding, like all proud of this, that her tweet is on there. Um, and, and she's just like praising him, I guess. I don't even know what the fuck she said. She's like, and Abby's watched. not exaggerating. Yeah. It no. literally is a blown up the entire page. It literally at first when you see it, it's like, oh, this is like some kind of symbolic thing. But then you look at it again, you're like, oh, wait, no, Donald Trump is actually looking through like a little binder of tweets blown up to fill up a whole page yes oh this is all tweets i'm looking at it right now it's tweets about his some rally in texas of all these people being like Trump. yeah is what is just like meaningless like yeah. the fact that he would even want to look at shit about that like what the fuck what a psychopath <laughs> narcissist who cares dude and we can only assume that he's sending them to everyone you know like why wouldn't he have sent them to to all the other people that are on this sheet of paper yeah probably dude, mark Chuck dice Woolery. yep yep dude yep. Paul yeah. Joseph Watson, he yep. retweeted PJW uh, like a few weeks ago. What did he say? I don't remember, but he, he retweeted him saying something about impeachment. Oh, my God. These people just live for like Trump's attention now because they just know that he's watching. You know, like this has never happened yeah. before. Um, so it gives them a more, more of a reason to just be ultra bootlicking sycophants. And just worship him because they're just like, maybe Trump will see it and retweet me. It's very surreal. We're going to go into this in a little bit. But basically what's what's happening now is we're seeing an even more of a merging with like the weird conspiracy fringe right wing world and like the Trump administration happening on like a more official level. Who is this guy who was... Yeah. Appointed to the Federal Education Board. I mean, talk about who he was for a second. Yeah, I mean, this was a story that kind of went under the radar again because things are so insane. But this is a guy named George Mentz, also writes under the pen name Magus Incognito. Honestly, sounds like a Mark Dice, like self-published author who is absolutely obsessed with the Illuminati. Um, and he was appointed. He's also like a top donor to Trump. So just shows you how kind of crazy his donors are as well. But he was appointed by Trump himself to the Federal Education Board. Um, and he's written several bizarre books about the Illuminati, about ascending inside the Illuminati. So this is, a, this is just another guy being legitimized, some crazy, um, you know, fringe-ass dude, like, akin to Mark Dice, is just being legitimized and like now working inside of the government. Very surreal. 
it's just so interesting the way that the right wing has managed to take like every conspiracy theory under the sun yeah and associate it with like a weapon and ammunition to use for their side against the left so for example uh recently a fox news host named todd starnes had an am radio show i think on the side where he actually said that the democrats do not worship a christian god they worship moloch wow which as you know obviously comes from he didn't get that language from like researching like pagan history or something <laughs> where, where abby where do you think he got that rhetoric from bohemian grove and where and who, oh, Alex and who talked and about shit. Bohemian yeah. Grove? Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. right? So how crazy is it that a Fox News host is actually saying, and here's what we know about Bohemian Grove. Like the actual reality about Bohemian Grove is that it's traditionally a right-wing audience usually. Yeah. It's like right-wing elites that populate Bohemian Grove. It was sort of traditionally more Republican-oriented. It used to be more, like back like uh, like in the early 1900s, it used to be more left-wing artists and stuff like that. It became sort of a weird right-wing uh, campout for elites. So for, them to, for him to say that Democrats worship Moloch, when the actual rhetoric he's pulling this from is about a right-wing elite campout in California, where they do a, a ritual where they have it worship a stone owl that some people think is at Moloch when there's actually no... Like, they don't call it Moloch. That's like what Alex Jones, you know, mm -hmm, came up mm -hmm. with. Or some of those, like, Christian conspiracy theorists came up with on their own. But it's just so odd that this is the world we're living in now, where this is a hit Fox News level. It's very It's like now Alex Jones too. is influencing Fox yeah. News hosts. It's nuts. Yeah, it's super Pizzagate-y, because it's like, we know what they're really implying. You know, a lot of these people actually think that, like, they do sacrifice children and shit there, like, to Moloch and whatever. And just like the well, same. Well, now they do. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Like the, the, and how it's the Democrats that are specifically like killing children and doing ritual sacrifices with like kids. It's almost like they've just learned, like we've been saying, that it's like the world of, it's like these mass hallucinations. They just taking advantage of the fact that truth, it doesn't matter anymore. You just come up with the most like inflammatory rhetoric possible. And just use it against the other side. I mean, for example, mm -hmm. Sean Hannity recently had on Tulsi Gabbard for this really bizarre softball interview where she's talking the whole time about how Hillary's a warmonger. And Sean Hannity's like, yeah, she is a terrible warmonger. Like, we need to stop all these wars. Why are we doing all these wars? And it's like, dude, you were the, the f biggest fucking Iraq <laughs> war cheerleader ever. Like, what are you talking about? Stopping the wars. You don't care about Hillary's warmongering. You lying piece of shit. It's like these, so all these people are just like using whatever ammunition they can against the other side. It doesn't even matter what's true anymore. And I revising keep, you know, history, revising history yeah, about absolutely. like making it partisan. It's like, what about the Bush administration? Or making the deep state partisan. I yeah, mean, a yeah, Tom yeah, yeah. Finton of Judicial Watch literally said on, on the Lou Dobbs show that, or no, it was the Judge Jeanine show, which is pretty much almost the same thing nowadays where he said that the deep state are comprised of liberal Democrats. Wow. The deep state are liberal. Like, he just straight up says it. What the hell? So this is the point we're at now? Yeah, and then when you showed me that really crazy kind of Fox News inner war, like, with all these hosts versus each other, like, where Stephen Miller, who's super creepy, um, who is literally, like, writing all of Trump's speeches and stuff, and we'll get into the Baghdadi stuff later, which yeah. he, he wrote himself. But Stephen Miller's so awful and just maniacal and just such a sadist and here he is on fox news being like 
yeah, he's like the deep state is doing this, like behind the impeachment. And it's just like, dude, what? You know, it's yeah. like crazy also that he's like younger than us. I feel like he's like. And he's saying it on a Fox yeah. News interview with Chris Wallace. Like, yeah. And he's, he's literally, literally speaking on behalf Chris of Wallace's Trump. Face. being like, this is the deep state. Did you hear what Steve Bannon actually said when he was asked about this idea that the deep state is trying to impeach Trump? No. Steve Bannon said it's kooky that Republicans keep saying that because it's there's nothing deep about it at all. He's like, obviously, the people like in the intelligence communities and all and these organizations like want to take down Trump. He's wow. like, it's completely on the surface. <laughs> so, so I thought that was actually an interesting response to sort of cut through it because it's like, yeah, obviously there is, there are some institutional forces here at work and people that Trump has deeply insulted and there is a factional war going on. And of course, there's elements that are driving to try to unseat Trump. Like yeah. that's part of what Russiagate, obviously, we already know that, but that's not what the deep state is. William Barr who's supposedly trying to uncover this deep state plot was instrumental in covering up Iran-Contra. So what do you, what do people say to that? They really think that he's going to uncover this deep state cabal. He's part of it at the actual real deep state. So, wow. I did want to mention something that we haven't gotten a chance to speak about Abby, yeah. but um, this went really under the radar for some reason. And I think that obviously it's, it's foolish to be like, oh, Trump's because of this or that Trump's going to not win the 2020 election. Like, I don't want to make any stupid predictions, but of all of the things that have happened, even, even with this impeachment thing happening, like, I don't know if this is actually going to go through or not. Like it could totally backfire. I'm not as confident right now as I was like two weeks ago about it. So I don't know about that, but I do think that this actually is a significant indicator that Trump could be seriously harmed going into the 2020 election. And this got very little coverage, but Trump has actually lost the support of drudgereport.com, which traditionally speaking could be like a kingmaker website. People were actually making the argument that Mitt Romney that his campaign was basically destined for failure because Drudge wasn't like overtly supporting him against Obama, that it was sort of like tacit support. And there was all this talk around that time of like how significant that was that Matt Drudge wasn't really offering that much support to Romney. And Romney even actually came out and complained about it at the time. I don't know if you remember that. That's how powerful Drudge's influence was back then. But right now, Trump has actually lost the support of Matt Drudge Matt Drudge won't comment on why. People have tried to ask him about it. But it's clear if you look at his website for the past like two or three months, all he's covering is like the impeachment stuff. He's covering the Trump lies and spin now all the time. He's not going after Democrats constantly like he usually does. You know, I almost think that this is almost like losing one leg of a tripod. I mean, I, I really do think it could be that significant. Um, and you're because, sure it's not just a one, a couple of one-offs. It's actually like a. I'm absolutely yeah. sure because I noticed it myself. Because I, I, I have to admit, I go to Dredge Report every day. Still, like it's mm -hmm, one of those mm -hmm. classic websites. I still look at every day. I noticed it myself, like probably like starting with six months ago, and it wasn't until recently that I actually started seeing stories being written about it. So it was something that I picked up on my own, and then other people started writing about the trend in his website coverage the percentage of pro versus anti Donald Trump stories that were starting to make it in. So it was very surprising. But if you think about it, Matt Drudge did play a really dirty role 
in the 2016 presidential election. I mean, he actually had Pizzagate stuff on um, wow. Drudge Report. He had QAnon stuff there. Really? Uh, like, um, he, yeah, he, I mean, he posted stuff insinuating this coup, this pro-Trump insider military intelligence good guy force that was going to save Donald Trump's presidency. Like, he was posting stories from people sort of planting the seeds for the QAnon narrative. I mean, he posted the spirit cooking story on his front page. Wow. Uh, so Matt Drudge did a lot for Donald Trump in that election, I think. Why do you think that it started to shift? Because, And I wish that someone could interview him because he's kind of notoriously goes under the radar and doesn't do interviews That's a really good often. question. But I mean, he still posts InfoWars links sometimes, not mm -hmm. as much as he used to. That's a really good question. I don't know the actual reason for that. Mm -hmm. I mean, Ann Coulter started to sort of go cold on Trump as well, even though she's still, you know, her, her problem is that he's not right wing enough for her. Yeah. Um, and then he's abandoned all these promises like building the wall fast enough and stuff. But so I would be curious to know what Matt Drudge's actual issue is with him. And that, it's That's interesting unclear. too, because since it's an aggregate, he can kind of just like not really explain it ever, you know, and there's no one actually exactly. like writing yeah. things about it. So it's just yes. like really interesting. Huh. And it's also interesting that Matt Drudge, how did he get so famous in the first place? He actually broke the Monica Lewinsky story. I mean, people, you know, may not realize that was the instrumental role that he's played in the media landscape. An independent website broke it. He was an aggregate, but he also scooped everybody else on that story. He was the first one to run with it. And and according to him, it was just by chance or luck because he was claiming that all these other journalists in DC already knew it. They were just afraid to run with it at that point. So he just like went out there and just was like, boom, and ran with it. And it actually ended up being true. And sometimes when he actually has his own scoops, they'll just be like three or four paragraphs or even sometimes just one sentence. I mean, he is a really interesting character because he can definitely make and break people um, but kind of do it totally under the radar because he's not like at the forefront of any of this but I don't think people realize how influential Drudge Report is and how much it can really drive the narrative a lot absolutely I mean he's even mocking people like Troy, Trey Gowdy a little bit right now making it seem like oh like Oh, what's the deal with like uh, you know there's all these right wing narratives you know there's different levels of them that I'm that I'm really familiar with the, all the different levels of them, like the daily caller style of spin, or even some of the zero hedge kind of conspiracy spin, and and it's it is notable that Drudge right now is actually more anti-Trump than even like zero hedge is. I mean, so that's actually saying Whoa. something. And I'm not saying that it's like overtly anti-Trump. It's just not carrying water for him, like it ha like it was for so long. Huh. I mean, it was for like three years straight, pretty much. Yeah, do you want to talk a little bit about his past really quick, just because it is really interesting what, how he started it off? Well, yeah, he worked as a, I believe, as like a, either a paper pusher, as a secretary for, at the front desk of some like CBS studio building in Hollywood. And he claims that he was being talked to by ghosts that were haunting the CBS building. He fancied himself a ghost whisperer. Um, and he found notes and like 
you know, dirt about different little tabloidy, you know, stories about celebrities or the inner workings at these studios in the trash cans um, and these different rooms, I guess, in this studio that he worked in based on advice that ghosts would tell him. That's his own backstory, according to him. So that's how he got his start in journalism. What a, so I guess, I mean, there's really not much more dude. to know about him. Oh, wow. I thought that he was like tied to Ariana Huffington and stuff back then. And That's Andrew Breitbart. Oh, okay. Breitbart uh, so was. So Andrew Breitbart and Ariana Huffington, they, were, they launched the Huffington Post together, I believe, originally. Wow. And, I mean, I, I could be wrong about that, but then Breitbart went off on his own. But uh, Breitbart was originally sort of like a protege of Matt Drudge. Mm-hmm. And that's actually one of the only reasons I have actually like questioned uh, Andrew Breitbart's sexuality. Like at time, I wondered if he was actually gay or bi at different periods in his life because he was so close with Matt Drudge. Like if you read a lot about like their relationship, that it kind of almost maybe seemed like they were in a relationship together. Mm-hmm. But it's 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 very interesting the way that all that stuff ties together and how David Brock used to you know be in a, a relationship with Matt Drudge when he was on the other side and now he runs the anti-Trump war room um, for the you know the Democratic Party. It's just so fascinating the way this all this whole web exists and how they can like blow in the wind and just like switch sides in general. Yeah, you know, super weird. Yeah. Oh, uh, Mike Jackman, the last guest we had on Media mm-hmm. Roots Radio told a really interesting story that I had never even heard before that apparently in around like 2011, Trump had uh, a meeting with Woody Harrelson and Jesse Ventura asking them if either one of them had run as his VP or like press secretary because he wanted to run as a Democrat in the presidential election. Wait, which while, is just like before he even like launched his campaign, or was this like in the midst of him trying? This to was like before he became a Republican, like back when the days when he was like ha- hanging with Hillary and Bill. Oh, right, when like he when was, he was still yeah. representing himself, like he was some kind of progressive. So he Whoa. actually had a private meeting in Trump Tower with Jesse Ventura and Woody Harrelson, asking them like to help him strategize what would a presidential run would look like if they would be on his ticket, like in his administration. Fascinating. Yeah, super, super weird. I mean, this is how much th- these things can blow in the wind and how these people change. I mean, Trump is not a real, you know, he is a crazy, you know, fascistic right winger, but he's really not, ide- he doesn't have an ideological core. If he could have been trying to run as a Democrat with Jesse Ventura, it's wild. That's super wild. Wow. There's an interesting development, which I've noticed like people like Eli Lake who's sort of taking an interesting turn. <laughs> I, I, I use that term lightly. I don't think he's interesting in and of himself. But the rhetoric he pushes is different from sort of the neocon consensus because right now he's actually writing editorials for Bloomberg that says that uh, the headline actually says, Trump isn't a Putin puppet. He's just unfit for office. So hmm. I noticed that like Bill Crystal liked this article I noticed, I think Max Boot retweeted it, Jonah Goldberg retweeted it, which is interesting because all of them were not too long ago saying that Trump was a Russian puppet, like yeah. that he was a Putin puppet. Yeah. So they're already abandoning, what does that say is they're already abandoning that iteration of their anti-Trump narrative. They're moving on to the more general narrative that this all just means he's unfit for office and needs to be impeached. 
I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised, especially no. since the impeachment inquiries now. I mean, you know, they took two years to find something with Russiagate. They couldn't. The Mueller report fell flat on its face. And so now, I mean, Trump has given everyone a gift to show how incompetent he really is. So now it, it makes sense that they're diverging and now being like, well, now, yeah, he's just unfit for office. He's not a Putin puppet. It's like, well, you guys have been saying that for two years. Yeah. And what's interesting is a uh, Bill Crystal already had like a think tank, not a think tank, but like one of those like PAC organizations ready to go. There were already, he was already making videos like last year that was just called the name of it is Republicans for the rule of law, which <laughs> insinuates that Trump is against the, you know, it's like doing illegal things. So it's yeah. like, it's all like being tied into the impeachment thing perfectly. But at the same time, I'm noticing they're not going full bore on impeachment like the Democrats are. So they're kind of keeping their distance. Like Bill Crystal's not going full impeachment yet, which is, is strange. Let's just get right into okay. what has been going on because the first two weeks that we were on tour, Robbie, we were on the road in the Southwest. We weren't watching any news. And then all of a sudden I talked to you and you're like, Trump's getting impeached. And I was like, dude, is this yeah. a joke? Like, how is this happening? And all of this happened within like 72 hours. It was like unbelievable to me that, and he did it to himself. And so why don't you explain, give us a synopsis of, of what happened and then we can get into like what has transpired since. Okay. So basically my, my take on it might be different from, uh, you know, the take of people who are listening probably already have their own opinions formed on this. Cause it's been, you know, going on now for almost a month. Cause we haven't done an episode for a month. So we haven't had a chance to talk about it. It's interesting because the actual Russiagate charge, the general charge was that Trump not just colluded with, but that he sought the foreign help of a foreign government <laughs> to help interfere in the 2016 election, specifically Russia. <laughs> that was the general charge. Couldn't be proven. I didn't think that the general charge was true. You know, maybe Trump would have done that if the opportunity is presented to him, but I don't think that that transpired. I genuinely do not believe that happened. I think that it was mostly these false, you know, falsely constructed charges. The dossier, you know, fed into a lot of it and fed into a lot of that narrative. But this is different because it does seem like on the surface that Trump literally did do exactly what he was sort of accused of doing in Russiagate to a certain extent, like on the, just the surface of it. And this is not even talking about the quid pro quo element of it either. So the general idea that's going on here is that you can't do a quid quo pro where you actually say you're going to withhold something uh, like funds to the Ukrainian government in this example by forcing them to do something for you, which in a general sense, I guess that sounds like something that could be impeachable. I mean, maybe, but... The the greater crime, in my mind, at least just like in terms of ethically, like even just like selfishly, like even if you just think of the job of what is Trump's job, it's to be the president and to do things in the good of the country. So why would Trump, for the good of the country, for anything other than his own selfish desire to win the election, ask the Ukrainian president to investigate Joe Biden's son? That would be a clear example of him trying to seek the Ukrainian government's help in in the 2020 election. So I just find that odd. Yeah, like you said, he did this to himself because if you were just, let's say you or me just went through like a year and a half, two year long <laughs> process where we are, we're accused of, of seeking foreign help in an election, 
and we were exonerated basically in that charge, why would we then do exactly what we were charged with doing the first time and actually like do it on tape or like do it on a phone call with a world leader? It just seems really sloppy to me. People are saying, <laughs> coming out and saying he, he was withholding aid. He denies it. Is that proven that he was withholding the aid until they agreed to do this? Is that confirmed? That's been, well, it's been confirmed and backpedaled. And like the, the confirmation has been withdrawn um, specifically huh. by Mick Mulvaney himself, the press secretary for Trump. But let me go, let me rewind mm-hmm, a little mm-hmm. bit so back to what happened. So if you're just stepping into this and you haven't been paying attention at all to the impeachment news, basically what happened is about a month ago or actually over a month ago, I think sometime in mid-September, a whistleblower leak comes through the mainstream media suggesting that the unusual holding of the Ukrainian funds was due to a quid quo pro arrangement that implied some form of corruption in the Trump administration, that Trump was trying to personally benefit from it. I don't think it was much more specific than that, but it was like there's about to be like more to this story. It was sort of implying that there was more coming and that the timing did seem to line up. Like the funding should have already gone through at that point, but it hadn't. Mm -hmm. So the media felt that this story had legs at that time. That was all that I remember hearing. But just pausing for a second, at no point during this has any mainstream media story debated the idea of why sending all this money to the Ukrainian army to help them fight against Russian separatists makes sense. Like nobody's, <laughs> nobody's tried to debate that point. Like why should we fund this proxy war between Russia and Ukraine? Like yeah. Why should we do that? Very little um, have I heard of people actually debating how bizarre it is that Hunter Biden was given a position at a, a Ukrainian oil company making like $70,000 a month. I mean, that to me is just absolutely appalling. It's absolutely appalling. And the problem is the right wing media are the only ones talking about it. The sort of the mainstream CNN, MSNBC, sort of neoliberal media are like all denying that it's a problem. And even Anderson Cooper gave a little softball question about Joe Biden's son to Joe Biden during the last debate. I don't know if you saw that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I'll go into that more in a second. But basically, for about a week, this story bubbled up under the surface. Then it suddenly became more clear that this whistleblower had somehow been in contact already with like like Trump DOJ officials. So they were using like the actual quote unquote proper channels a whistleblower is supposed to go through in contrast to like Edward Snowden or whatever. And possibly members of Congress, like the Republicans have been latching onto this idea that the whistleblower was already secretly talking to Adam Schiff's team, you know, be ahead of all this too. And that the full details were that Trump decided to withhold the funds unless the Ukrainian president decided to start a new investigation into Burisma Energy, specifically the involvement of Joe Biden's son at that company. This was generally framed as a quid quo pro arrangement so that Trump could personally benefit by stirring up a scandal, you know, about the son of his current political rival in the upcoming election. So in what seemed like just a few days after the story fully broke in the media, was hot and breaking, Nancy Pelosi immediately announces an official impeachment inquiry and even does a special press conference to announce it, which is kind of like a shock. It's like, wait a second, the Democrats are dragging their feet and being like all lukewarm on the idea of impeachment and all this time and then all of a sudden it's like now we're going to do it like now we're actually going to do an official because an actual impeachment inquiry if it finds impeachable offenses like it's an actual it's a legit 
process. It's an it's a serious thing. It's not like we're going to do an exploration to see if we should do impeachment. This is an actual. This is it. This is it. So it's it, that really caught me off guard. I was like, why is the speed of this so fast? Why is Nancy Pelosi so confident? Why are the Democrats so confident? Because she said impeachment was off the table. She was firmly against the idea for so long up until. I guess there was pressure from other Democrats saying that they were going to try to launch one themselves or something. Do you know how that actually catapulted her into announcing the inquiry? I I think that had something to do with it, but even still, there wasn't enough pressure, Mm -hmm. I think, mounting for it to line up with why she came out swinging so hard and so confident. I think that there is... There's some evidence to suggest that they're sitting on something or that they already know more then they've like they're playing a game here where they're leaking things where they actually know more than they're letting on. I mean, that's part of what I think is happening. Like they're trying to get one step ahead of the Trump administration by not blasting it out all at once and trying to actually catch him off guard. I mean, it's se- and it seems like it actually has caught even the whole Republican Party off guard. Because of the way they've been trying to defend Trump during this process. I think Schiff was the one who broke with the messaging and then she and then I guess they just got on board with each other over the weekend when all this happened. Yeah. I was really shocked to hear that it was happening and over something so I, I don't know. I mean, it it's it's a weird one, given all that Trump has done. The Muslim ban, I guess, which was upheld yeah. by the Supreme Court, uh the migrant detention stuff. All of the, you know, of course, we know the bipartisan foreign policy consensus, nothing's going to be really done in terms of impeachment on that front, like the wanton deaths of all these people abroad, Um, the emoluments clause like that. There's so much that could be done on the emoluments clause this whole time. And to focus two years on Russiagate and then to come swinging out of the gates with this, um, very, very surprising. So yeah, I yeah, guess I agree su- with you that there surprising. has to be there has to be like more that they knew that they had. Yeah, and I think that we're beginning to see that the evidence of what I'm saying is the case because there's been too many whistle, quote unquote whistleblowers and actual like witnesses who have come forward inside like the Trump State Department and stuff who have reinforced the general idea that this was like really shady what Trump was trying to do. Um because he was hiding they, the phone calls, right? Explain that part. Well, he well he, apparently so he's been saying the whole time it was a perfect phone call. He keeps saying this over <laughs> and over again. It's a perfect phone call. It's a perfect phone call. He released something that he keeps saying is a transcript and all the right-wing sort of defenders and and pundits on Fox News keep saying is an actual official transcript. But the actual you read the transcript, it says on it that it's not an actual transcript. It said it's a recollection of the conversation from people in the room. Weird. That's what it literally says on it. So that's interesting because if you actually read the transcript out loud, and this is something I don't know why it's not been more explored. Maybe it's a dead end. Maybe it's meaningless. But if you read the transcript out loud, apparently it only amounts to about 16 minutes. The phone call on the record took a half an hour. So that would be quite shocking if Trump actually omitted 14 minutes of the phone call from like the transcript. I mean, that would be like a really obvious cover-up. So if he did something that irresponsible, that'll come out in an impeachment inquiry. So this is the thing I think that's actually catching Trump off guard is that he has tried to fight the very nature of the impeachment inquiry itself. 
mm-hmm. by like saying that his people are going to refuse to submit to subpoenas, that he's not going to hand over documents. But people, but even like his own aides and people who left his administration are saying, dude, you got, you actually, at this point, you have no choice. Like you literally have to go along with this. Like it's too late now to actually try to fight these subpoenas and stuff. I mean, you, it, you're just going to make it worse on yourself if you do. And also it, it suggests that there's something else that he's been filing away under the guise of national security. Cause I guess this was filed away under like a national security confidentiality thing like department but it's like that has nothing to do with national security and also like what else has been stored there exactly and as as the you know the saying goes the cover-up is worse than the crime so we don't even know (laughs) if he did anything like i'm suggesting which would be crazy if he deleted 14 minutes i mean that's a pretty far out thing i'm suggesting if he did anything like that it'll be found out in in an inquiry like that and also i mean They'll, they don't have to just narrow the scope and keep it down to this specific phone call. They can get his tax returns. They can get these things that they've been trying to get in an actual impeachment inquiry. Like the stakes get even higher for him at that point. What, like he what is his excuse to, for not releasing the transcript, the actual transcript? I don't know the, the excuse. And I don't even know if that's like part of the narrative right now. The Democrats have abandoned that line of their narrative. Their narrative now is that there definitely was a quid quo pro and they're just getting all this other reinforced information from all these other like witnesses who were in the state department and, and different agencies. I think part of what happened, why I think the Republicans were caught off guard and why it was obvious is that Trump and Rudy Giuliani uh, totally fucked themselves by immediately admitting to the general charge that they were trying to get Joe Biden's son investigated and tried to spin it a little bit like eventually they tried to spin it as they're trying to root out corruption in Ukraine. Yeah. By specifically trying to investigate the role of Joe Biden's son there. But not even some Republicans bought that narrative fully. I mean, even the Daily Caller had a little thing by written by Tucker Carlson saying, you know, a different narrative than that. Saying like this does look really bad. But is this impeachable? Was kind of their argument. And their argument was the Democrats were being like really partisan and whatever, but they were even like admitting that this looks really bad. So it like wasn't melding with the Trump messaging. Some of the right wing messaging was going off script. So the idea that the funds were being directly withheld unless the Ukrainian president agreed to this, that wasn't made clear back when this story broke. And it's still not fully made clear now. Like if this was actually you know, fully locked in. And this was the plan. Like if this was like a conspiracy by the Trump administration to sort of hold this over the Ukrainian government's head to do this favor for his campaign to investigate Joe Biden's son, that's not made clear. But I guess there's many ways this is being framed by the sort of the right and the left right now, but there's some weird and unusual framing taking place. So obviously, like I was just saying, Republicans and Fox News and Trump surrogates are struggling to defend Trump in, you know, during this, uh, whether what he actually did is impeachable or not, it's absolutely clear that they can't get their messaging right because Trump himself has been totally inconsistent and shifting strategies trying to backpedal and defend himself. First, he said he did encourage an investigation into his political rival's son. Then he said he was actually just trying to help root out Ukrainian corruption in general. 
Then the story completely changed to Trump was only actually trying to investigate the roots of the Russiagate probe <laughs> in his look back investigation into the 2016 election. So now this is the current iteration of the Trump spin <laughs> that they weren't withholding funds, but were asking the Ukrainian president to help them figure out who in Ukraine helped the Democrats start Russiagate. So Trump also repeatedly made strange statements over the course of the last few weeks since this all broke that he believes the Ukrainians know where the DNC server is oh and he wants God. to get a hold of it. Um, he also started conflating the idea of Hillary's 33,000 missing emails with the files on the DNC server, implying that those emails might also be in Ukraine on the same disk. I mean, what the fuck is going on? Does he... So this is actually what I've been trying to wrap my head around is where he got the idea that CrowdStrike or the DNC servers, that the Ukrainian government can help them find these or something. But what's actually the only kernel of truth here that Trump is trying to spin, um, because there's nothing in that phone call. I mean, even though there is stuff in that phone call, actually, where Trump mentions the DNC server, believe it or not. That's really? in the tra transcript. Really? Yes, which is fucking weird that he thinks it's in Ukraine. But the only evidence that I guess people get that he got this from is that uh, there was a rumor that the owner of CrowdStrike was a Ukrainian oligarch. But there's nothing about like where he lives in Ukraine or that he works with the Ukrainian government or that he even knows the Democrats or that and actually turns out to not even be true that it was a Ukrainian oligarch. It was just a rumor. So I don't even understand what the fuck is going on. But the weird kernel of truth here is that Trump actually is doing a look back investigation using the resources of the Justice Department and also sending Rudy Giuliani on these bizarre unofficial fact-finding missions in Ukraine and other places to figure out how Trump was quote-unquote set up for Russiagate. Wait, he sent like Giuliani to Ukraine to do like a fact-finding yes. mission? Wow. Yes. And this is apparently this is the new spin that they're trying to do is that there actually was a quid quo pro, but it was to get them to look into election meddling that the Democrats tried to do in the 2016 election by getting help from Ukrainians, like getting help from the Ukrainian government, um, which is such a weird twist, like sort of like upside down, topsy-turvy thing they're trying to do. It's like, it's almost like the Uranium One scandal kind of accusation, but... It's also they're trying to imply that that these people might actually be indicted, like people like John Brennan, people like Peter Strozik, people like James Comey. So now when you watch Fox News, they're not even really talking about impeachment as much as they're talking about this look back investigation and implying that John Brennan could be charged. Which is so weird because that's basically like the QAnon narrative. I was just going to say one step ahead of everyone who's been playing 8D exactly. chess this whole time. This is all a giant setup so he could take down the actual deep state, Robbie John Brennan and all the libs. It's so it's so bizarre, Abby. I mean, it's it's really, really strange that this is now basically the QAnon narrative melding with the Trump administration. And Trump is also evoking civil war on Twitter. I mean, right, he said right. He well, let's let's talk about let's yeah, let's talk about what he's done since. And I wanted to chime in here really quickly because this is the first time I've seen Trump not be on top of his game. It almost seemed like the Russiagate stuff strengthened him 
um, he was able to double down on his rhetoric and just become emboldened yes. by the fact that he was right the whole time and that they were the yes. ones who were scrambling to try to find, you know, navigate all these bizarre threads um, and they just kept failing and falling over themselves. This is the first time I've seen him have the rug pulled out under him. Um, yes. You know, shifting um, flailing around saying, like you just said, switching the narrative so many different times that he just looks crazy. He looks so nuts. I mean, every time I see him, he looks like he is actually scared. Um, but, but again, he is so dumb that, you know, people are trying to paint this again as some sort of deep state trying to take him out. This is, this has nothing like, like Steve Bannon said, this is, this is very surface level shit. Like this is Trump being so incompetent and stupid that he actually did this to himself, that he thought that he could just do this. If he just came out and actually staged a press conference, I would probably agree with him. If he was like, Hey, um, I actually do not want to give this aid package to Ukraine. I find it really kind of incomprehensible that we're funding like a war, like a proxy war to fight Russian separatists in Ukraine. Meanwhile, you know, neo-Nazis are taking root, um, getting all Mm -hmm. these positions of power. And if he was just like, and also a side note, Hunter Biden is at this Ukrainian oil company after like this big coup happened that we were involved in. If he just made a press conference and actually like did an open call to the American public about corruption in general and how he didn't want to deliver these funds on the premise that he was concerned about corruption. I feel like I would have been like, wow, that's really crazy. I agree with him. Um, but the yeah. fact that he did this and he could have also like, <laughs> couldn't he have launched an internal investigation? Like, couldn't he have asked someone within his cabinet to be like, Hey, can you investigate what is happening in Hunter Biden's position? Like all of it is so surreal that he thought that this would be okay. It's Just kind of unbelievable. Firm. He has, he's running, he, he has the right to run, he's running a campaign, right? So can't he use his own private funds to run oppo research on Hunter Biden? Right. That's what I mean, I'm saying. isn't he allowed to do that? That's what I'm saying. So, yeah, it makes no sense. Like, well, yeah, that just shows how sloppy it is. Like, it is so crazy that he would be so brazen about it if indeed this is like, and you're right, it is sort of like an odd thing to go eventually try to impeach him for. I mean, he's done seemingly much worse things than this. But, yeah, why would he do something so sloppy? And I do think that it is his own fault. And I also simultaneously agree with sort of the Matt Taibbi narrative that this is that there is an element of like a palace coup uh, aspect to this, but not like a deep that the, the deep state is trying to take him out. You know, like that they're working against him. It's that there's so many people who probably work even closely with him who are just like this guy is actually so incompetent <laughs> that I'm scared of what he's doing. That's different. Than like the uh, the idea of the deep state trying to take him out because he's a threat to the deep state, right? And didn't he hear, also? You hear what I'm saying? And let's talk about. Oh, of course. No, I agree with you 100. percent I mean, I'm I'm scared of his incompetence, especially if he thought that this was okay. And um, you know, he's losing it. Clearly, he's losing yeah. it. He's losing it more and more. And the fact that he came out after this, we don't know who the whistleblower is yet, right? But he he came out. and He was like, you know what they used to do to whistleblowers, like basically hang them for treason. Um, and all the people are up in arms like, oh my God, we need to protect this whistleblower. This whistleblower is so important. It's like, since when do we give a shit about whistleblowers? But also, and then of course the Trump side is like, this is a partisan witch hunt. The whistleblower was a Democrat. (laughs) Yeah. Just like so many layers of stupidity here. 
There is. And I even think that Trump has transcended. I, I use the word transcended almost like it sounds positive. Transcended beyond taking advice or even being influenced by some of the smarter people that were in his ear before, like including like Bannon or Roger Stone. Like before I was like, oh, yeah, Stone and Bannon are still secretly in with Trump and they've been advising him. I no longer think that. I think he's actually just only like listening to himself and very few people at this point. It's one of the only explanations for how dumb his rhetoric has become. Because as you said, why is this all about the Democrats? Trump knows, and Roger Stone actually just said it on like an interview I just watched. He's like, this is not about the Democrats versus Trump trying to impeach Trump. This is like the insiders trying to oust the outsiders. And even though I don't agree with that paradigm, that's a more accurate paradigm. These intelligence people are obviously promoting this idea that it's a whistleblower because they support the cause of impeaching Trump. Like it's, it's very obvious. There's nothing deep about it. Right. They're on TV all the time. That's not the deep state as we traditionally know it. That's something else. That's part of the blob being like, we cannot stand for this, this person. And we will right. do everything we can to fucking get rid of them. And also kind of indicative of the deep corrupt culture of like our political establishment. The fact that Hunter Biden, this is all about the fact that he took this lush job you know, is making this exorbitant amount of money. It's like, this is what all these people do. They, they go in the revolving door, maybe not as overt as that after we stage a coup and then he just gets a job in like a foreign government, you know, corporation, proxy, whatever to like in an oil company. But it just shows you like, that's how deeply penetrated into like the core of everything that's wrong with the system. And they, they, they just couldn't stand that. They couldn't stand for yeah. that. Like how much it just exposed everything. Not that I'm on Trump's side. I think Trump... Again, he's losing it here, um, and he's he's so head up his own ass that I agree. I think, like honestly, his best ally is just Stephen Miller at this point. There's just a feedback loop between them that's just like yeah. going down a really weird way. Um, I don't know how he's going to yeah. get out of this. I mean, so where do you see it going now? Because what's happening now? Well, what's happening now? I mean, so a couple other things have happened that I think are interesting. So you brought up the the Fox News civil war, yeah. Um, so that's interesting because it's really indicative of, you know, what could potentially be Trump losing another leg of the tripod, um, even though it's not, you know, it's people like you would normally expect to go against Trump, but people like Juan Williams, Chris Wallace, uh, Shep Smith, um, they're all totally talking about all the different fake, you know, spin that Trump is putting on this. They're talking about all the changing narratives that the administration is putting out. Chris Wallace did a pretty adversarial interview with Stephen Miller about this and made him look like a total fucking idiot. Um, but the most surprising one, I think, is Judge Napolitano, who was like pro-Trump kind of for a few years. And now he's saying that this is blatantly illegal. On Fox News, he's he's saying on the Shep Smith show that this is a blatantly illegal thing and it is absolutely impeachable, slam dunk case. Like just straight up. And after he said that on Fox News, Tucker Carlson ran a segment mocking the Shep Smith segment and making fun of Judge Napolitano. And it actually started like an internal rift at Fox News. You can read about this. Shep Smith ended up resigning uh, about a week later. And he didn't do a Liz Wall where he resigned live on air, but he almost kind of did. No one in the office apparently knew he had planned to do it that day except for like one or two people on his staff. And he did it. He wrote the teleprompter thing in like... 15 minutes he had already pre-written it but he put he had them enter it in like 15 minutes before and he did it live on the air he resigned from fox wow and as, no of way. course the neoliberal media 
like fucking Jake Tapper and you know, all these CNN people were like, what a hero Chef Smith is. He's a real journalist, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, dude, he's not a real journalist. Like he also was like a neocon war cheerleader for so many years. But yeah, I mean, it's good, actually. It's just fun to see blood in the water for me. Like I don't care. I don't want to, you know, prop up Shep Smith, but I want to fucking partake in the entertainment of that there's blood in the water you can fucking smell yeah, it at for Fox the first News. time they're yeah, scared dude i mean even the attacks they're going on now several pundits like daily are talking about civil war they're like you know if you impeach trump man like you people talk about civil war you know like if some people say civil war could happen if trump, well yeah talk trump about trump's impeached. tweet i mean trump tweeted himself he was like quoting someone on fox news to be fair um but he did like basically give validation to the notion that we yeah pastor on fox news saying you know yeah. the country's more divisive than ever he's like if impeachment goes through like this there's gonna be a full-fledged civil war and trump just quotes it and it's like hmm Oh, yeah. I mean, and then the flip side of that is sort of the, you know, mainstream media like the CNN and MSNBC are like outraged by it. They're like, look how shocking this is that Trump is insinuating civil war. Like Anderson Cooper's like, I can't believe, you know, that a sitting president of the United States would do this. And it's like, where have you been this whole time, dude? <laughs> do you, have you heard of QAnon? Do you know that Alex Jones and like Paul Joseph Watson, Mark Dice and these people are like chummy with the literally the White House? They've been talking about civil war the whole time. Michael Savage wrote a book called The Coming Civil War, The Looming Whoa. Civil War against like liberals and conservatives like three years ago. I mean, this has been a theme for years on like right wing talk radio. So I guess maybe, yeah, it's shocking that it's the president was finally insane enough to actually tweet about it. But like he's been insinuating it for a while. Like if you listen to his rallies, like the way he talks about that yeah the people but people out there really know what's going on like people out there like there is a coded language in the way that he talks where he insinuates civil upheaval if people try to unseat him from office like i'm not i'm not just saying this because i'm anti-trump i'm saying it because he's smart enough to know the kind of language and the insinuations he's using and he does put that rhetoric out even though it's just hints but he has been putting out rhetoric kind of like that for years too I mean, you know, it's not, and even just the way that they're rejecting, they try to act like they can reject these subpoenas. I mean, it's, you know, it is sort of like tr they're trying to be as bullish as possible about it. I mean, it's, it's weird. And I don't know how far Trump thinks he can take that, but I mean, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't think there's going to be an actual civil war if he gets unseated from office, but there will be. Like some crazy right wing violence if he does. I think you I, I think that's pretty much guaranteed. It might just be like a couple of mass shootings or something like that, but I mean I think it probably will happen. Yeah, I mean, so I guess my big question, and I love that Fox News is just at war with each other, um, that well you should post that montage that we watched at your house. I don't know if that was like one thread or if that was multiple videos, but man, that was uh that was pretty enjoyable to watch. Everyone like not knowing where the messaging is um, well then I just wanted to mention really quick, you have yeah. the, 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 so the CNN and MSNBC side of this, of course, is not genuine and, and, and good, uh, either. I mean, even though they are constantly talking about this impeachment thing, so they're really like, you know, they're helping fan the flames of this and make it much more big than it, than it probably would be otherwise. Um, which I, I think is actually good, even though, I mean, it's obviously really biased and they are, have a bone, they've had a bone to pick with Trump forever for completely unrelated reasons. But 
I mean, Jake Tapper and people from CNN were actually doing cartwheels trying to defend the Hunter Biden appointment at Burisma. I mean, after <laughs> this all came out again. Um, and they were actually saying that it wasn't corrupt and it wasn't a crime, even though back when it was first announced three years ago or four years ago, Tapper actually ran segments about how corrupt this Hunter Biden appointment looked, that the optics looked terrible. I have a clip of it. I know this because I use a clip of it in a very heavy agenda. It's just sad that the mainstream media, you know, they can't help themselves. They can't be honest while attacking Trump. I mean, it's just like this pulling out of Syria announcement by Trump. They just make it all about how Trump is abandoning the Kurds. And, and it's like they attack Trump from the right. They want him They mm-hmm. want him to keep more military there. It's like, it's just terrible that this is the main voice to go against the president right now. You know, they just can't admit that, yeah, Joe Biden and his son are shady as fuck. I mean, Joe Biden is shady as fuck. I mean, like, why are we promoting him so much? Fuck Joe Biden. Yeah, and it's so weird, too, because Joe Biden is like a no-brainer would lose against Trump, in my opinion. And I think that polls have reflected that, too. Like, he's a worse iteration of Hillary Clinton, like, by far. There's no identity politics driving his support. It's literally the only person that I've seen that has support based on polls. Inane polling that I don't even know where it's based on. And that's why he's legitimized as like a front runner. And I think that that's what's so curious to me, that Trump is willing to risk it all, risk a second term, risk the rest of his first term and go down in history as someone who was impeached over the scandal um, of his own doing when he really could have beat Biden. And when Biden has so many skeletons in his closet already. So that's that's another fascinating aspect of this. It's like it could have been so easy for him. I guess I don't understand where this is going to go, because as we know, with the Bill Clinton impeachment inquiry, um, it doesn't mean that you're forcibly ejected from office if you actually go through the rounds. I mean, first of all, we have to go through the fact that Republicans will all go along with this, right? We have to see that Republicans are willing to flip. Um, I think that they've hitched their wagons to Trump because they know that they've lost legitimacy as we said multiple times during the election that Trump won, that we didn't know where the Republican Party was going to go because we didn't know if they were ever going to actually get power again. I mean, we honestly thought, like, how can they win again um, because of the shifting dynamics and like the cultural progression of the country in general? It's fascinating that Republicans would be willing to let their power go because they know how important Trump is as a figurehead to rally their base and secure their own privilege and elections and victories in general. So I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what, is there any signifying factor that shows us that like a significant amount of Republicans would flip and in fact move this forward to the point where he would actually be impeached? And if that happens, what would then happen? Would Trump actually be physically removed from office? And, you know, I, I just don't, So I guess I'm confused about the next steps that have to happen, because right now the impeachment inquiry is one thing, but there's a lot of other things that need to happen that I really have a hard time believing would happen in order for Trump to finally leave. And, you know, if he does get forcibly removed, there's the danger, like you're saying right now, that there could be a lot of right wing violence in the streets. And I think that that's a really definite possibility based on what's been fomented the last couple of years and all of these, you know, the Oath Keepers came out and said that they're ready to go locked and loaded. Um, all of these right wing pundits just like 
fostering this this civil war type atmosphere for a long, long time. And especially if they actually believe the deep state is doing this and that it's like some partisan liberal agenda and they already hate leftists and we'll just like blame this on just random like progressives and, and minority groups. Like we're in for a world of fucking trouble here. So I, I don't know. There's a lot of really scary possibilities that can come out of this. Yeah. I mean, I'm confident that you know, I, I think some Republicans will flip. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see them flailing. I'm just more interested to see that there's clearly blood in the water right now, and they they just don't have their messaging straight, and their defenses and their attempts to try to thwart this are really just coming off as really pathetic. And that's not to say at all that I like the Democrats or that I think Nancy Pelosi is a noble person or anything like that. I just think that it's really, really obvious if you just look at it objectively that they're not able to really stop this. I mean, they tried to like to basically crash one of the hearings where they had a closed hearing where they had a witness asking the witness questions and like all these Republicans from the House like tried to crash the hearing and like some big like PR stunt. I mean, so that's the kind mm-hmm. of stuff that they're resorting to because they're claiming that it's an unconstitutional process, that it's a coup a Democrat coup, it's a partisan coup, even though there are Republicans actually taking part in these hearings, these closed door hearings. But I mean, it is in the, impeachment is in the constitution. You know, it's just so obvious how disingenuous they're all being because they were all taking the different stance during the Clinton hearings, impeachment hearings, and during Benghazi. They had no problem doing closed door hearings during that. I mean, so it's just total political theater it's obvious that Trump was caught off guard by this. And it's obvious that he also was dumb enough to think he could stop it uh, once it started. But that's, it's becoming clear that the only thing that's going to stop it is like when it actually eventually gets to a vote. And as you're saying, if it gets to the Senate, um, the Senate's still Republican majority. So how is that even going to pass? I mean, even if you got a bunch of Republicans to flip, it's still not going to be enough. I just don't see Trump leaving office easy. Let's just say that. Exactly, yeah. Seems like he's entitled to the point where he wants to stay forever. It's going to be an interesting road. What happens next? It will be, you know, and I don't think we should ever take any of this talk. Um, It's tempting sometimes to believe the rumors that Trump is thinking about, like maybe resigning or retiring Mm -hmm. if X, Y, or Z happen, but... Don't believe. Don't believe the hype. He's president of the United States. I mean, this is the most, you know, this feeds his ego more than anything else uh, that he's ever done in his life. So why would he decide to give this up? This is the last thing he's got left. He was a fucking has-been reality TV show star. Like, he was already like a dead celebrity. You know, people forgot about him in like the late 90s. I don't. Nobody even talked about Donald Trump anymore. He like was in a cameo in Home Alone 2. And then all of a sudden, you know, reality TV happens and he has The Apprentice. So he's kind of becomes a sort of a celebrity again. But he really didn't, you know, he doesn't have much else. This is it. Like what, why would he resign? So I think Abby's right. He's not going down easy. And even if he did go down, there's no talking here about getting rid of Mike Pence. I mean, we're going to be left with Mike Pence. It's just, there's no easy way out of this at all in general. And even if Mike Pence and Trump and the Democrats just immediately took over, are we really going to be happy with sort of this intelligence community, sort of like insidious faction of D.C. that's like trying to 
you know, spread all this hysteria about Russia, like gain, regaining power again in, in Washington, D.C., and like fully taking over the White House again? I mean, it just seems uh, there's no good, there is no good, good way out of this, no matter which way you look at it. And even if someone like Bernie Sanders wins the next election, you know, these sort of intelligence factions or whoever the fuck these people are will still be in power. And uh, they haven't, they still have enormous power in sway. So I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I know I'm, again, leaving us on a dismal note, but. Don't, don't, don't believe the hype. <laughs> Public enemy song. Um, well, thank you so much for listening to Media Roots Radio. We have a lot more to cover in the next episode, so stay tuned. We're going to talk about the fake Syria withdrawal, the murder of al-Baghdadi, um, a ton more stuff. So um, definitely check out that next episode. Hit us up on iTunes, SoundCloud, on all major podcast platforms, and also consider donating to Media Roots Radio. We're putting together cool-ass sticker packs um, with some of my artwork as well, made into really high-quality stickers, vinyl stickers, for $30 a month. Um, I package all of these myself, so definitely uh, consider donating if you have the means. Um, And if not, we will take anything. Any amount really helps us with these broadcasts, and really your support means the world. Um, And again, thank you everyone to who I met on this tour that supports Media Roots Radio. Y'all are the best. It was really cool to meet all of you in person and um, just really inspiring. So thanks so much. Yeah, thanks everybody for listening. And if you like this episode and like what we do, please consider donating to us or supporting us at patreon.com slash Radio. And also uh, make sure to check out our Halloween episode. I think our very first Halloween episode actually uh, that came out a week ago. Um, where me and Mike Jackman of Jackman Radio uh, discuss the Phantasm horror movie franchise, obscure horror movies, and his experience being an Alex Jones impersonator and also going to the most recent New Hampshire Trump rally, which he found very uh, surreal and frightening. So uh, be sure to check that out. Peace out.